Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for another week in college football. We've got a couple of people here to help me do exactly that. Four more guests here on today's show. We're going to start things off with Mr. Relevant, where the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, stopped by to talk through quarterback carousel, small school players that could stand out down in Mobile, and a loaded group of senior tight ends. We're going to hit on all of that as well as the top prospects uh, here for Penn State uh, here in the state of Pennsylvania. So we'll talk all about that uh, with Jim. We're going to keep things going on the All-Star Circuit, talking with my buddy Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl about one of those Penn State defenders along the defensive front. You do not want to miss that conversation with Eric. Then we're going to start to shift our attention to week five in college football. We're going to break down top matchups here with Ben Fennel. Saturday scouting, matchups to watch. We're going to do a mock draft from the Draft Network. We're going to take a look at uh, some of the guys that you need to know going into this weekend. Then we round things out with our pick segment, pick six with myself and Ross Tucker. Who's ahead right now as we're a handful of weeks into the college football season and who could make a huge jump in the, uh, in the, in the scoreboard this week? We're going to cover all that in pick six with Ross. Thanks so much to everybody that has gone on to our Apple podcast page and left us a review, left us a rating. Thanks so much to everybody that's done that lately. And please, if you haven't yet, jump on. It's the best way to throw us your support here as we're in the thick of things in college football, prepping you for next year's NFL draft. Thanks so much to everybody that has done that lately, like I said. That said, let's get things going here. Excited to start things off with Mr. Relevant and Jim Nagy. All right, well, excited this week for Mr. Relevant to welcome back the executive director for the Reese's Senior Bowl, Mr. Jim Nagy. Jim has been on the show a number of times before. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Nagy underscore SB. Jim, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, friend. Thanks for having me back on. So let's get through a bunch of these players. I'm excited to kind of pick your brain. I guess we'll start with the uh, the quarterback position. I know a player that you guys are really high on is Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. Big test for him this week coming up against Notre Dame. But just want to ask you about Desmond and how you feel he separates himself from some of these other quarterbacks uh, in this class. Yeah, Desmond's been our, our highest rated guy through the offseason. Uh, we liked him so much last year. We have a jersey downstairs from, from last year's game. Um, <laughs> You know, because there was a chance we had to, we we have to get that Nike order in early, and uh, you know the guys that since he were giving us a heads up that maybe if they won that Georgia uh, bowl game that he might come out. So uh, we got a jersey ready, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, no, Desmond's a guy that uh, I finally got to meet him this summer at the Manning camp. First and foremost, he's he's everything that the people at Cincinnati tell you. Um, you know, really bright football guy, mature. Uh, you know, just has has a cool presence about him. And then, uh, you know, on tape, we know he's going to test well. You know, everyone, everyone at the school says he's going to run in the, in the four or fives, and you, you saw that last year. I think it was the SMU game. He had a really long breakout run, like a 90-yard run. Uh, you know, a lot of arm talent. I know, you know, he told me personally this summer that he was working on his deep ball accuracy. That was kind of the one thing he went into the offseason focusing on, and, um, you know, he's done that. He's done a nice job early in the year. He's got a lot of weapons there. Um, you know, they got a really good team around him. That's a good defense at Cincinnati too. So yeah, Desmond's our top guy right now. And, and, uh, we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but, uh, this, this, this one will be a big one this week going against his former, um, defensive coordinator, uh, Marcus Freeman, who should know him really well. And, uh, yeah, another good test for him. When you look at this quarterback class in general, uh, and it's interesting because uh, obviously you had five guys going the top 15 last year. You guys had a couple of those players. But when you look at, at the, the quarterback picture this year going into next year's draft, just overall thoughts on some other names that have kind of flashed to you? 
Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's 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 different than the last couple of years, at least for us. Um, we've had a really good idea of the guys we've wanted, you know, going into the year. And, and this year, there's there's you know, there's probably two or three that we know, and then it's got to sort itself out. Uh, you know, I'm going to see Malik Willis on Saturday to play UAB. Um, one of our other guys saw him play earlier in the year, so this will be our second look at Malik. Um, another guy saw Malik twice this summer. Um, has all the physical stuff. At the last game we were at. Um, you know, our, our, one of our scouts connected with some of his friends on the staff and they just raved about Malik's football intelligence and, and kind of, you know, what he's done, making strides there in that area. So I'm excited to see Malik, um, you know, Kenny Pickett's a guy that we invited to the game last year and, uh, you know, he decided to come back. So we really like how Kenny Pickett plays the position and he's off to a really good start this year. And then, um, then there's just, there's just a lot of guys we're looking to elevate. You know, I think, uh, the two guys over the first month of the season that have really done that are, uh, you know, Jake Hayner's a guy from Fresno state out West. That's getting a lot of buzz justifiably. So, um, you know, I talked to a scout the other day and he said he was kind of on the, on the edge with him, you know, just intrigued by him. You know, I think, uh, intriguing is a word that I like to avoid in scouting. It's kind of a, a fence riding, uh, term, right. but, uh, he, he said the UCLA game really pushed him over the top. Um, to see him lead that team back on the road, just the, the gutsiness that he showed. Um, and then another guy like Bailey Zappi, we were at uh, Western Kentucky the other night when they played Indiana. And he's a guy that kind of was on the radar last year at Houston Baptist um, and, you know, went to Western Kentucky, has the same coordinator call in place this year. And just some cool moxie about him. You know, he's another guy that, that uh, you know, knows how to play the game, has some sandlot to him. And um, I think both those guys are making kind of an, a push early in their senior year. Kind of reminds me of uh, Gardner Minshew a couple years ago, Fran, in terms of um, a guy that was a little bit off the radar coming into the senior year that, uh, you know, Gardner put together that record setting Pac-12 season as a senior. And uh, these guys are I'm, I'm kind of getting that feeling from both those guys. So we've talked through a couple of names that come from the group of five or independents. And, and really, when I think of the senior ball, you always like to see some of those guys that come from the FCS or D2 level that go to the game and really see their star rise. Obviously, last year, the big story was Quinn Miners coming from Wisconsin Whitewater. Uh, who are some of these other FCS players that you feel like have that ability to come down to Mobile and really help themselves here uh, this draft cycle? Yeah, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, last year, like you said, it was Quinn. Then the year before that, it was like Jeremy Chin and, sure. and Kyle Duggar. Um, I think we're back on the offensive line train like last year. Now, there are some other small school guys across the board, other positions, but you're just looking at the offensive line. You, you probably start with Trevor Penning at Northern Iowa is a guy. We had his bookend uh, mate in the, in the game last year, Spencer Brown. Yep. Um, Trevor's a, a different player, but probably coming in, you know, coming into senior bowl time for this year, Trevor will be rated higher for most teams than, than even Spencer was, who, you know, he went in the third round to Buffalo. But Trevor's just a you know another huge guy like Spencer was, but but really nasty. Um, he's taking a game his game to the next level this year. You see a lot of improvement. Uh, Braxton Jones from Southern Utah is another like a true left tackle at the next level. A guy we've already seen play twice live. Um, you know, so there's a number of guys on that offensive line, and a guy that uh, we got on a couple of weeks ago, Nick Sakelge from Fordham, um, is a really interesting player. We watched him over the summer and. You talk about a guy that's made a nice jump. Um, it'd be Nick Sakelage. You know, he really had his shot in a playoff game against Nebraska early in the year and, and really dominated in that game. And, and so we went and saw him last week. So um, there's there's going to be a number of small school guys in Mobile this year just on that offensive line group. 
I want to stay on the offensive side of the football. We were talking earlier this week on the show with Dane uh, about this tight end group. And I love the senior class of tight ends, you know, and two of my favorites, Kate Otten, uh, uh, Ruckert over uh, with Ohio State. But this group overall from top to bottom, really, really strong. I, I wanted to kind of pick your brain there and just kind of get a sense of who you felt you, you, were, you felt strongest about uh, going into this game. Yeah, it's a it's it's probably my favorite position group. You know, even though we're we're probably only wow. invite, you know, we're usually at about eight guys in that group, so it's a limited number for us. But um, you know, we could probably go pick two full rosters of tight ends and be happy with them. But yeah, the guys you mentioned, Kate Otten, Jeremy Ruckert, um, those guys are near the top. You got Trey McBride at Colorado State is off to a monster year catching the football. Charlie Kolar at Iowa State. Um you know, I think what makes this group different is these guys are true dual tight ends. You know, they, they can, sure. they can yep. stay attached to the line of scrimmage. They can put their hand in the dirt and block you. And they're also all of them can do good stuff in the pass game, although it, it looks different for all of them um, in the past game, athletically, size wise. But they're all they're all adept. And then you throw in like Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin. Cole Turner's a guy we really like out in Nevada. Isaiah Likely at Coastal. I mean, it's a it's a really, really deep group. And like you said, I mean, the, both all of these guys have that ability to be the combo weapon. We talked earlier uh, with Brandon Brown earlier this week, the Eagles director of player personnel, about how important it is to understand these players' roles moving forward. And all these guys have that ability to be two-way players at the position and really affects their value and how they're viewed. Um, and they get that opportunity to kind of show off, you know, maybe they were used primarily as blockers in college and only showed uh, a flashed receiving skills or, or vice versa. Well, now they can go to an all-star game setting and prove that they can do the other as well. Right. I, I think, uh, yeah, a perfect example of that is Trey McKitty from last year, yeah. um, the, Georgia, the Georgia tight end. I mean, he got caught six balls at Georgia last year, comes down to the senior bowl. He's got like 11 and eight inch hands and he was just one hand in balls all week and ends up going in the third round to San Diego. So, yeah, that's a, a perfect example. And and again, you talk about these combo guys. Um, you know, that's a really good term for it, Fran. I, I just know based off my experience in the league, it's really hard selling pass catching tight ends that can't block, um, right. you know, because you're really tipping your hat when you put those guys in the field. So tight ends, coaches and offensive coordinators in the NFL really bristle at those guys that, I mean, they have to be truly, truly dynamic players in the pass game for, for coaches to overlook deficiencies in the blocking. Cause they, they you know, yeah, obviously they don't want to tip their hat when they, you know, in terms of play calling. So this is a, this will be a group that'll be easy for the coaches to get in get on board with once they get involved in the process. Well, you mentioned Trey McKitty there. Well, let's talk about his former teammate down there with the Georgia Bulldogs pass rusher, uh, Adam Anderson, who has been a part-time player in the past, still kind of a rotational player, but a really impactful player. And I, I know you're very high on, uh, tell us what you see from Adam Anderson, the pass rusher from Georgia. Yeah, that, uh, that Georgia defense is, is, uh, hell on wheels. I was at the South Carolina game a couple weeks ago and really the, the only two guys that stay on the field are the two safeties. Um, you know, 29 and 16, and then everybody else rotates, man. It's uh, they keep them fresh and they come in and they, then they all just play their tails off. So they're a really fun unit to watch. But Anna Anderson is a guy that, you know, kind of jumped off the tape last year. Just if you look at his PFF numbers last year, in terms of kind of his, the sack win rate, the pass rush win rate was like 32%, which is off the charts. Um, you know, so now that he's a first year starter and in, in a little bit more of a full-time role, um, you know, like you said, they still do wave those guys in and out pretty good, but, uh, you know, like, as you know, Fran, most of these college guys can win with one thing, right? They can, they can win with speed. They've got power. 
or that, you know, maybe they're athletic. They got some slippery counterness to them. Adam can win with all three. Uh, the more tape you watch, you see that he can go speed to power on you. He has that, even though he's such a good athlete. So, um, you know, really diverse pass rusher plays really hard. And I think that, uh, like if you're selling Adam Anderson in a draft room, all you have to do is go to the special teams tape hmm. because, you know, he was out there on, on kickoff team at the South Carolina game and I was sitting in the end zone actually. So it was kind of cool having that, like the same view you'd watch on tape and to see Adam, Adam Anderson run down and blow people up and sell out and lay out and uh, give up his body on special teams, you know, is going to really make these teams bought in in the competitor. Um, so when you're talking about in that early round range, and those are the things that really separate those guys, these, these teams want to know what they're buying. And all you have to do is watch fourth down tape on Adam Anderson. You know exactly what you're getting from a competitive standpoint. I love that context, uh, just you know, trying to get a sense of the person. Even if you're not saying, uh, oh, you know, Adam Anderson is going to come in and be a, a four-core special teams player for us, showing that he did that in college kind of speaks to that competitiveness. And, and even I love what you talked about there with just his pass rush plan and the different ways to win. I feel like doing some self-scouting of myself, I feel like I've overvalued in the past guys that maybe didn't have traits but only had the pass rush plan. Hey, he can do, do a lot of different things. He's so great with his hands. But when you have a guy that's got traits and can win with one way – and now show up off that counter. It feels like when I talk with coaches, it's like, yeah, if you've got the fastball and then you understand the changeup, you don't need eight moves in your bag. If you've got two or three that are really good, we're, we're in good shape. Yeah, that's, that's right. And that's why, that's why he's a fun guy to watch. And he has the motor, you know, when you've got right. the athletic, when you have the tools that Adam has and you're relentless, um, you know, even if you're still developing, you're going to get to the quarterback a lot. Cause he can, he can really, really close and he's long. So he's going to disrupt a lot of throws. So this, uh, this Georgia front seven is Georgia defense alone. And we might, we might end up with eight players, eight defensive players off this defense, which would be an all time record for the senior bowl. Well, it's, I would think that a defense that might be able to challenge that uh, would be Penn State. Uh, you had a couple of guys that uh, were offered to go to the Senior Bowl last year that ended up going back to school, taking advantage of that extra year of eligibility. Um, take us through this Penn State defense. I know they've got a couple other guys coming up now uh, that could also end up in Mobile. Yeah, up in your neck of the woods, Fran, this, uh, this Penn State defense is really talented. Like you said, we had uh, Tariq Castro-Fields, the corner, and Jaquan Brisker, the safety um, both accepted invites to last year's Senior Bowl, and, and the staff up there got them to come back, which is which is great for that team. Uh, you know, Brisker's at the top of our safety boards. Castro Field is is right up there at corner. Uh, I think Jesse Lucetta. If you if you go down a level, Jesse Lucetta, the linebacker, edge player, um, to to our staff is one of the most underrated guys in college football um, in terms of his projection of the next level. In terms of you know just tools, length, speed, recklessness, uh, power. A uh, really intriguing player, um, you know, and then you, and then you go down the line. Uh, Arnold Ebichetti from for the Temple transfer is doing a lot of good things early in the year. He's, uh, you know, he's kind of replacing Shaka Tony, who was here last year in Mobile, and brings a lot of the same things to the table um, and might even be better against the run. So Arnold's a, a really interesting guy, too, um, for us. And then you go, you kick inside, you go down to, the, to the, even the next level, and P.J. Mustafer is uh, a real presence inside against the run inside. So one of our top interior defensive linemen. So yeah, that's a, that's a really good group. Uh, you know, Ellis Brooks, the linebacker makes a ton of plays, really productive guy. 
So, uh, yeah, I would expect Penn State to win a lot of games this year just, just based off the way that defense plays. I was at the, the Temple-Boston College game a couple weekends ago uh, and couldn't help but think, like, man, like they could really use Arnold Ibichetti you know, watching him uh, every single Saturday. Uh, and they, you know, they lost. They, they've lost a bunch of guys transfer over the last few years. I mean, you guys had uh, Quincy Roche down there last year. He's a former Temple guy. Uh, yeah, they, they've had a, a number of guys that have gone on to have impacts elsewhere. Uh, but Ibichetti uh, really making an impact for Penn State. Well, Jim, thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. Uh, we'll catch up with you at least one more time before we uh, have that trip down to Mobile. Yeah, that'll be great, friend. Thanks for having me on and uh, enjoy another weekend of football. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, well, excited to welcome back to the show Director of Football Operations and Player Personnel at the Shrine Bowl, my friend Eric Calco. Eric, welcome back to the show, man. Appreciate it, friend. Well, let's get through uh, an interesting player that we actually mentioned briefly in the last segment, but I want to ask you about Penn State pass rusher Arnold Ebiketti. And this is a guy that was on my radar for the last couple of years because he was previously at Temple, transferred over to Penn State, you know, went left the east part of the state, went west a little bit. Uh, but tell us when Ebiketti first jumped on your radar uh, and get into the scouting report on this kid. Yeah, really in 2020. I mean, he he was a backup before then, and he flashed a lot. I think he had a couple of tackles for a loss in one game in 2020 and really emerged as a, a dynamic, impressive athlete pass rusher. A guy, when you're watching a group of five guys, especially O-line, D-line, you feel able to identify who the good players are after a few snaps, and you could tell right away, okay, this kid has some real juice, and you go back and watch him further, and then you see his background. He's a former basketball player. He's an international player, played basketball growing up, late to football, so he's still kind of growing in that football kind of body and skill set. And then the way he played in 2020 as a pass rusher, you know, Fran, you don't have to be dominant every play as a pass rusher, but if you're athletic and can make an impact on five, six plays a game, you'll have NFL attention too. And then so far in 2021, now at Penn State, kind of playing that Shaka Tony role, um, outside linebacker role, and he's doing a great job so far there. How does he compare to Quincy Roche? Because Roche making that same transfer away from Temple, uh, went down to Miami, had a, a certain level of, of success down there for the Hurricanes in 2020. Now we see Ebiketti do the same thing with Penn State. Yeah, I think Roche is probably a, a, a quicker, speedier guy off the edge. I think what Ebiketti does really well for a guy that's, you know, got good length. He's maybe a shorter guy, 6'2", but has like 34-inch arms. I think he's a bit of a longer player. He can set up and counter and uh, understand offensive tackle pressure. I think even better than Roche did, right? Roche can just beat you as a wide nine guy consistently, especially at the college level. I think Ebiketti can do that. He has that kind of burst. But I think it's the control with his hands, the timing to take advantage when offensive linemen are off balance. And he did it against Wisconsin, a, a team that's known for great, reliable offensive linemen. But when he sees a guy off balance, he can really take advantage with that quickness and speed and also using the you know the length for a 6-2 outside linebacker. And then lastly, just how important is it for a guy that you know starts his career at a group of five, transfers up to a power five, takes the, you know, keeps that level of production going? Uh, how how big of a jump, how big is that for him to be able to show that he could make that jump and then uh, the, taking it the next step further into the all-star game process. You know, if he carries that over into that kind of a setting, uh, what does that mean for his stock moving into the draft? Yeah. Yeah. For our staff, we talk about the term raw versus underdeveloped all the time with players. And if a guy is not showing what he needs to show as technique, then he's, and he's had four years to do it. He's underdeveloped. Right. But if a guy has a reason to think, Hey, this guy still might get better. That's wrong. We can work with that. And they get Bichetti going from, you know, starting high school, you know, I think a sophomore, junior of high school, he started playing football at Temple, took him a couple of years, but figured it out. Now at Penn State, now he's kind of putting that all together too. It just kind of shows NFL teams that pathway towards being successful. And I think if he can continue to show that against Big Ten competition, again, 
I think he had a sack against or a tackle for loss against Wisconsin. That's a good team to get a sack against, known for their offensive linemen. I think if he kind of keeps showing that, even as a situational pass rusher, they rotate those guys in a lot. But I think if he can kind of show that all year long, end the year with at Penn State, you don't need to have that many sacks to be a first round pick, as we learned last year. But showing some production, some activity as an outside linebacker and then the all star game process. I think for him, showing he can play some three, four outside linebacker, he does some drops at Penn State, but showing that at the All-Star game process could be great. At the Shrine Bowl this year, we're going to have a three, four defense, right? So he can play that defense if he wants to, as well as play some DN. So I think he can show off that kind of, hey, I'm still getting better as a player at an All-Star game process, which will be so important for a guy with really untapped potential like him. Well, Eric, thanks so much for giving us a little bit of background info uh, on Arnold Ibiketti. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's turn our attention to next week here in college football as I welcome in Ben Fennell to the show. Uh, Ben? Excited to have you back, man. You uh, you missed this early, early week episode on your travel back uh, from Vegas, but excited to get your thoughts here on this week in college football. Yeah, fun slate of games. Um, a little disappointed. You guys continued the show without me. I kind of <laughs> thought I wasn't there. It just would stop traffic completely. Um, but you guys, you know, kept it afloat. I haven't listened back yet for all the errors and mistakes and all the, the lapses in the rundown because I wasn't there to keep it together. But uh, fun, fun to be back with you. I'm expecting a full Frank Costanza at the beginning of next week's episode. I got a lot of problems with you people, and you're all going to hear about it uh, when we start next week's show. But uh, let's get into some of our big matchups. Honestly, man, like uh, this was a fun slate of games to go through because I feel like there are a lot of interesting one-on-one matchups. And also, like we do that category uh, coming up the most to gain, like guys that could really use a big week. A lot of candidates for that one here as well. But uh, let's do our one-on-ones. What's a, what's a big matchup to watch here for you this weekend in college football? Well, I feel like early in the season right now, the Arkansas Razorbacks are one of the darlings of college football, getting some big upset wins, uh, beating Texas A&M last week. But they play Georgia, number two Georgia Bulldogs coming to town. A lot of people talking about Traylon Burks and Jalen Catalan and Trey Williams is starting to get some steam. Well, they, they got some guys in the trenches too, friend, as they always do up there at Arkansas. Not big Myron Cunningham at left tackle, but center Ricky Stromberg. I think is one of the best centers in the SEC, if not the country. He's a true junior. He's a four-star, uh, started all the games last year, played left and right guard as a true freshman in 2019. He's going to be battling big Jordan Davis. And I think it's going to be a great stock you know, of value for him and scouts watching that game against a 300 and – I don't know what Davis is listed at these days, 350, 360, 370 Whatever he's listed at, it's on a good day. Um, yeah, but that's going to be a, just a great tape for scouts to look at for Stromberg and a guy that's not getting a lot of attention. I think he's versatile, can play any of the interior spots. He's a taller guy at 6'4". Fran, he's not one of these like quick off the ball guys. He's a guy that can seal you and move you right off the ball. So he's a lot of these centers now are coming out undersized and they win with that initial quickness. That really isn't his game. He's that old school people mover, mauler, finisher type that can really get some movement. Well, mano a mano this week against big Jordan Davis. It's going to be a fun battle. Yeah, it was a battle of heavyweights there on the interior. Uh, I've been thinking about Jordan Davis and players like that a lot just over these last few weeks. And like, uh, I feel like my thought on his positional value has changed a lot just over like the last calendar year, but certainly uh, since the start of the NFL season, man, like we're watching around uh, a lot of teams around the league. And obviously you have all the different, you know, the multiple fronts and uh, the way that people sh- uh, shuffle players in and out. 
we've talked in the past about the the, uh, the upscale, the uptick in too high looks and how teams are playing with lighter boxes, trying to entice people to run. I feel like when you have that kind of a front, you need some of these guys that can that can either take up multiple gaps or just dominate one-on-one. And I, if that's the case, like maybe Jordan Davis is more viable than we thought before. I think every defensive line coach, defensive coordinator, head coach, GM, owner are all going to have different views on this. And it changes from year to year based on what teams are coveting those players. Yep. But I promise you, defensive tackles are needed in this league. Run-plugging defensive tackles are needed in this league. That's not the question. Where do you spend the draft capital on those players is the question. And it's different every year. We see Danny Shelton's and uh, Vita Veyes go early. And we see Andrew Billings and Lecky Fotus go late. And I don't know why I threw Billings in there. obviously better example players. But, you know, the the Steve McClendons and Albert McClellans, you know, those big burly nose tackles, Snacks Harrison, Linval Josephs. There's a reason why they didn't go high in the draft but they're needed in this league. They're wanted in this league. Just a matter of where you covet that type of position. And I mean, I think the Billings one is interesting because he was in mock drafts, like all through his. He was one of the better interior players that year. And one of the better one techs and showed some flash to get up the field. And I know he had some injuries as well. I think uh, might've had a knee or something he was dealing with, but he slid further than I expected. And uh, I think the Bengals took him in like the fourth round or something. All right, let's get to some of these skill positions. I'm going to look at Penn State and Indiana. You and I, big fans uh, of Indiana corner Taiwan Mullen. He'll have his hands full this week with the speedster from Penn State, Jahan Dodson. Uh, and this is a guy that has been a primary pass catcher for the Nittany Lions this year. He's been their big play guy. So watching this Indiana secondary, namely Taiwan Mullen, the, the true junior out there for the Hoosiers, go up against Dodson. That's a really interesting one-on-one matchup. Certainly a big one to watch. I know you've studied both of these guys. Uh, you've got a ton of background info on Mullen, his brother, uh, obviously Trayvon Mullen, who's now worked with the with the, the, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, but thoughts here uh, on this matchup? I think it's a big one here in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's going to be a real fun battle. Uh, Jahan Dotson had four for 94 and a touchdown last year uh, to open the season. It really got things started. So Taiwan, uh, I think he needs to show up. And I think the expectations were really high this year from that whole Indiana program, both sides of the ball and Michael Penix and some of those studs on defense. Um, so I think it's going to be a really good game for uh, Taiwan Mullen's individual stock, certainly. All right, so we talked about earlier, there's a lot of candidates for this category. Most to gain. Who's a guy that could really benefit from a strong performance this week? I'll bounce this one to you first. You know where I'm going, friend, because they're still You're not ranked. Kentucky. And don't You're give me that Kentucky. coaches poll stuff. We're talking the AP poll, the big boys, <laughs> Kentucky Wildcats. What do they have to do? They're 4-0. and They went to South Carolina, face SEC competitions on the road. Beat them. What else do you want them to do, Fran? They got to knock off Florida Gators this week. I think Florida Gators are number eight or ten in the country. And I want to see big Darian Kennard, you know, the left tackle, Dari Rosenthal from LSU. Not a lot of people talking about Luke Fortner at center. And they got a really good Florida defensive front to face, whether it's Zachary Carter, Jeremiah Moon, Brenton Cox, this Gervin Dexter kid that was knocking back Alabama offensive linemen on the goal line a couple weeks ago as they nearly upset the Crimson Tide. There's a lot of NFL-caliber players on that defensive front. So do the Kentucky offensive linemen. So one more week of them not ranked. I love them. I think they're a really fun team to watch, both sides of the ball. Will Levis, Chris Rodriguez, uh, he's a 220-pound bulldog of a running back. I guess they got to knock off uh, you know number team 10, number 10 team in the country to get some love. You think they got a shot? They absolutely have a shot. Of course they have a shot. And, and this is just all part of the plan. And this is just the next step on the way to that 
Kentucky Wildcat National Championship. You heard it here <laughs> the first. Next, the next rung in the ladder. Uh, I, I'm going to stay in the SEC. And there are a handful of opportunities here for some big-name quarterbacks. You know, we're going to talk – or we've talked this week already uh, about um, – about Desmond Ritter and the challenge he has going on the road against Notre Dame. Uh, I'm going to go Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral, uh, a personal favorite of mine going up against Alabama. And this can be one of those huge matchups. We're going to talk about it a little bit later with Ross as well. Uh, Matt Corral, huge, huge, huge opportunity here against the Crimson Tide to see what he can do. And it's, it's not even necessarily about them winning the game, although that would be big. Uh, it's about just look, you know, playing under composure, not having a complete meltdown. If he can just go out and have a, a even like a, a solid performance, not turn the ball over, not look overly rattled, keep them in position, keep them, in, you know, w- within a tight ball game. I think he will come out as one of the big winners of this week. Yeah, and he had a really strong game last year against them. You know, he was twenty-one of uh, twenty-eight for three sixty-five, two touchdowns, no picks. I thought he really uh, took care of the ball and didn't put it in harm's way, which is, you know, uh, objective number one against the Nick Saban type of defense. Don't hurt yourself with, you know, the turnover throws and things like that. And um, I think it's going to be a really good game for him. I'm really excited for his opportunity. All right, let's go to the next one here. Prospects after dark. Who's a guy that's playing in a game start time 8 p.m. or later that you want to profile here? Now you go first on this one. All right, so I'm going to go with an interesting one in that, Look, if you're an East Coast guy and, you know, if you're busy during the day and you come back at night, you're like, all right, I'm going to turn some college football on. You typically miss out on a lot of the, the big SEC games. And usually you, you're probably going to miss out on Derek Stingley, the star corner for LSU. However, this week, Auburn LSU, 9 p.m. start time on ESPN. So this is a, a good opportunity to get eyes on some good players here for both Auburn and LSU. But certainly Derek Stingley, he's been in the top five of pretty much every mock draft. Uh, that we've looked at so far here on the show. Stingley uh, going up against Auburn. The big thing you want to watch here with him, he's been up and down as a tackler here this season. You want to see see how he does against this Auburn run game. But uh, Derek Stingley certainly one of the most gifted players in this draft, regardless of position. Uh, he is a guy you want to be able to watch, and you have, you have your chance to get him if you're a night owl uh, to be able to watch here some college football late on Saturday. Well, I'm staying in that game, and I'm staying on that side of the ball. And linebacker Damone Clark, uh, LSU linebacker, wearing number 18, uh, was the SEC Defensive Player of the Week last week. Had 15 tackles against Mississippi State. Was a 2020 freak lister for all sorts of athleticism and strength. They had a horrible year last year, replacing Patrick Queen and Jacob Phillips in that championship-level uh, defense. Big Auburn running back group coming to town. Tank Bigsby, Sean Shivers. Uh, they have a true freshman as well. That breaks free every now and then. Damone Clark, look out for number 18 in the middle there. I like it. That's certainly another name. LSU, as always, they've always got guys. I got, I got to catch sides. up on Mike Jones as well, who I transferred yeah. over from Clemson. I haven't heard too much about him. I know he wanted to play true Mike linebacker. I uh, haven't watched a lot of Clemson yet, but or excuse me, LSU yet this year, but uh, keep an eye out for him as well. B.J. Ojolari off the edge, the guy to keep an yep. eye out for the future. Uh, certainly the receiver, Keishon Butte. Uh, is another game to watch as well on the opposite side. Let's go now to our call our shot. Predict a big game here from a, a big name prospect or you know even a lower level prospect for this weekend uh, and give a little bit of background on, on your pick. And if you've been listening, you all know at home, I've yet to miss in this category. Nailed every single one so <laughs> never, far. Never, never lost. I'm just joking. I've been way off on everyone. But uh, this is another week, another opportunity. So let's get it right. I'm going to go with Cincinnati edge rusher Maje Sanders. I haven't too much heard much about him this year. He plays Notre Dame. 
They just beat Indiana two weeks ago. They're heading back to the state of Indiana for the other Power 5 team in Indiana, and that's Notre Dame coming off a good win against Wisconsin last week, if I'm not mistaken, Correct. Yep. Uh, in the Jack Cohen rivalry game. But Cincinnati Edge, Maje Sanders, he leads the team at 13 pressures. No sacks yet this year. Expectations are high. Return for a senior year. I think he's going to have a big game against a big-time opponent in Notre Dame. I know Cincinnati – and Luke Fickle want to knock off a Notre Dame caliber team and really have a statement win. I mean, back to back on the schedule at Indiana, at Notre Dame, any group of five team, Fran, you know, that's circled on the calendar. They had a week to prepare in between those for Notre Dame. I'm expecting a big game. And whether that's Amon Gardner or Kobe Bryant on the defense, it's a veteran group out there. But Majay Sanders, I think he's going to get a couple sacks under his belt and make a couple splash plays. We'll be hearing about him on Twitter over the weekend. Who do you like in this game? I'm going to give, I'm going to give my pick in the next segment. Who, who do you like, uh, Cincinnati or Notre Dame? This Cincinnati team will punch you in the mouth. And do not let them have a, a window in the first quarter. I think they're going to come out hungry. I think they're going to be fired up. I think they're going to be healthy. I think they're going to be fresh. And I think Desmond Ritter is going to get his signature win of 2021. I don't know what happens down the stretch. You know, they're going to have some tough games in conference and whatnot. They might have a hiccup or two. But I think this stretch – was circled to start the season. It's going to be circled from scouts watching Desmond Ritter and certainly a statement win and a statement opportunity for this program. I like it. All right, well, let's go to our next category here. Uh, or actually, no, I'm going to give my call your shot. Uh, I'm going to go with Iowa State running back Brees Hall. A little bit of a slow start here for the Cyclones. Uh, obviously, they start the season as what the, the, the top five team, top seven team. Uh, they've had a, a, a rough start to the season, haven't been exactly what they were hoping for, but Brees Hall. Still one of the best backs in the country with his size and his patience, his ability to be a combo back. Going up against Kansas, I feel like this is a get-right opportunity here for this offense. 7 o'clock, FS1, they've got them at home. I just feel like this 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 feels right for an Iowa State blow-up. So uh, looking at that offense, namely Brees Hall, uh, I like him in this game. Let's go to our next one here, comparison chat. Use an NFL comp to profile a prospect playing this weekend. And I'm going to go with a player, I'm pretty sure you just tweeted about him recently, uh, Boston College. Love this offensive line, namely the left guard, Zion Johnson, and the center, Alec Lindstrom. Uh, I want to talk about Zion Johnson here, a player that I watched not this summer, but summer of 2020. Really liked his athleticism. I liked the, the, him on the move. I thought that he was a really good run blocker, really good feel uh, for their zone schemes. He uses his hands well. Pass protection, he's got light feet, a little bit undersized. And I thought that he, when he, he, looked, he played a tackle last year a little bit. Didn't look quite as natural as what he's played at guard. Well, he's back at guard this season, and he looks really good. And I, when I first watched him, he reminded me a lot of Shaq Mason, uh, who's been a really good player for the New England Patriots for a few years. And it's funny, Shaq Mason, he played in that triple option offense down at Georgia Tech before entering the NFL. Zion Johnson, before he transferred to Boston College, he played in the triple option offense. So he was still kind of figuring things out from a pass protection scheme as well. So uh, kind of interesting that both guys had that in their profile. But Zion Johnson, Shaq Mason, I think Zion Johnson could be a longtime NFL starter. Uh, I really like him. Watch him against here uh, Clemson this week, 730 on the ACC Network. Yeah, I did uh, put on the uh, <clears throat> Boston College offense tape yesterday. I went to watch Alex Lindstrom, uh, Ben Petrula, Tyler Vrabel, really good offensive line. Fran, I don't know who any of these running backs were. I think they were in 23, 24, and 25 for Boston College. They're all built rocked up, running through arm tackles. It just seems like they have a type out there, whether it was Andre Williams, A.J. Dillon, uh, the Bailey kid from two years ago. Just really good-looking stable of running backs out there. They're going to be really excited to play Clemson. Um, 
But the ACC, it's obviously going as as everyone predicted this year, right, Fran? You know, yeah, exactly. Four, four and zero Boston College. Who else is four and zero? How about Wake Forest? Yeah, nobody's talking about Wake Forest. Give me a prospect on Wake Forest. You don't know any. That's right. So we're going to talk about receiver Jaquari Roberson. Mm. And this is a really productive receiver. He took advantage of Sage Surratt opting out last year, had a huge year in 2020 with Sam Hartman. This is a three-level receiver. He plays out of the slot, gets a lot of featured touches, had six plays of 40-plus last year in a variety of ways. And he did it in whether it was yards after catch quick game, the stuff over the middle, or the deep over-the-top stuff. Really good at the top of routes, transitions the yards after catch really well, speed cuts pretty well, has good hands and adjustments. He reminds me a little bit of Mario Manningham. And I don't think this guy is going to be a blazer. I don't think he's a 4-4 guy. I think he's just a savvy 4-5-5 guy that can win at every level with good hands, can win outside, win inside, probably do some special teaming if you need him to. Just a guy people aren't talking about. This Wake Forest team's 4-0. We need to talk about some players, tackle uh, – uh, Zach Tom is an interesting player and a couple interesting defenders as well, like Luigi Villian, great name, Michigan transfer, former four-star, 14 QB pressures, four sacks this season. Uh, he's finally healthy, another kid coming down from Canada. But the Wake Forest, Demon Deacons, 4-0, and and they are hot. I like it. It's not often that we're talking about the Deeks uh, here on this show, so glad that you brought one to the table. Let's close out the segment with our mock draft roundup this week. We're going to take a look at Jordan Reed's latest mock draft over at the Draft Network. Uh, he's got the Eagles picking at number eight and at number 14. So only two first-round picks. The Colts do have their first-round pick in this mock draft. So first pick, Eagles picking at eight overall, select Clemson corner Andrew Booth. And here is the blurb from Jordan. He says the Clemson defense is playing really well this year, and a big reason behind that has been the play of Booth. A player that has the competitive fire and the alpha mentality of Marcus Peters, but the athleticism of some of the high-level first-round corners that we've seen in the past, adding Booth Jr. to a secondary that still needs help could help head coach Nick Sirianni and defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon continue to retool the defense. So, Ben, thoughts on Andrew Booth here in Eagles Green as a top-ten pick? Yeah, really interesting player. I think is more of a zone scheme corner, which we're going to be playing a lot of zone under Jonathan Gannon's uh, system here in Philadelphia. So I like the fit there, whether it's a, you know, kind of a cover two force player, whether it's side saddle cover three stuff, he could play it off coverage and quarters. Just I have some issues with him in press man and the turn and run stuff. So I think he's a good scheme fit here in Philadelphia. You got to just love his height, his length, his ball skills, his explosiveness, just that general athleticism. I think anybody would covet to have in a defensive back room, but I think he fits the scheme here and certainly a uh, intriguing athlete. So that was the pick at number eight. Just a quick look at the top seven. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, number one to Detroit. Derek Stingley, number two to the Jets. Number three, the Jaguars take Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. Malik Willis, the quarterback one, number uh, number four overall to the Houston Texans. Number five, Cincinnati Bengals offensive tackle Evan Neal. Sam Howell, quarterback two, number six overall to the Atlanta Falcons. And then the Giants take uh, USC edge rusher Drake Jackson. So, Ben, thoughts on that top seven and Sam Howell uh, sneaking in there. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on that grouping? Um, yeah, bunch of bunch of guys that we're starting to feel the consensus on. A lot of these defensive players, Evan Neal, kind of being that first tackle. Drake Jackson. Like that's, that's the core, right? You know, yeah, we're getting and to it that point. Becomes like, do you have a quarterback in that mix or not? Yeah, and it's uh, you know it's that time of year for a quarterback boggle that I mentioned two weeks ago. It's just you see all different uh, shakings and rankings of these quarterbacks. But the way Sam Howell's played the past couple of weeks, this really isn't how his stock has been trending. I think some other guys have been leapfrogging him. And 
He's been a guy that some people compare to a Baker Mayfield, and he reminds me a little bit of Bryce Petty at times, you know, a guy that was really productive in college as well in a similar RPO shot play system. That North Carolina team's been struggling this year, and I haven't watched the tape yet. I haven't watched them on TV a whole lot, but a lot of the narratives and some buzz I'm hearing, just his stock uh, has, has taken a dip a little bit. All right, let's go to the uh, the next pick here. As the Eagles select again at number 14. They take Michigan defensive lineman Aiden Hutchinson. Here's the blurb from Jordan. Now fully healthy, Hutchinson has been a terror off the edge. With Brandon Graham's Achilles injury and Derek Barnett in the middle of a contract year, the options for the Eagles at the top of the depth chart for the foreseeable future are thin. Hutchinson gives them a young and energetic option with a skill set that translates immediately to the next level. So, Ben, I know you're a big fan of Aiden Hutchinson. I'm a big fan of Aiden Hutchinson. We've talked a lot about Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson. 14, like, do you feel like this is like the range we're talking or do you feel like he could go even higher? Uh, he, he could go even higher. I think so, right? I was literally about to say 14. I don't know if he's going to make it there. Yeah, right. Um, so he's a guy that's really, really fun. And if you're just looking for a hard nose, early down run defender that can slide in and third down, just a tough, versatile player with good length, and this, this is him. He's a different style than even Thibodeau and Drake Jackson. There may be some defensive coordinators, and I'm going to say this now, that may covet his style of play more than those two. Yeah. And, yes, I said Kayvon I Thibodeau. I said Kayvon Thibodeau. I really, really believe that, Fran. This is a heck of a football player. And, you know, when you when you look and wonder how, you know, the J.J. Watts of the world, you know, were coveted and turned into what they are, he's got a lot of that going on. And there aren't those types of players that grow on trees and they don't come out every year. He may be a really special player, and he's my type of guy. He ain't looking to run around anybody. He's a power player, a good run defender, good in space, plays hard, checking all the boxes of you know defensive ends that I like in this league. And again, going back to what we said earlier about Jordan Davis, where it's like, all right, like right, you're going to play light boxes, you're going to play multiple fronts. Even if you're not a light box team and, and you want to be a multiple front team, well, this is this is the kind of guy that fits that, right? Hutchinson can line up, you know, as wide out as a nine tech, or he can come in and play some three tech, right? I mean, he can do all of those things in between. So when you have a, a guy that has that level of position versatility, uh, I think you're going to be seen as very valuable. He can fit in any kind of scheme. And um, yeah, I mean, just a really talented player. You feel good about him off the field. Uh, Hutchinson, a really really fun prospect. Uh, real quick, just to get a sense of the guys that go uh, or that have been going around him, the two picks before Hutchinson. Carolina at number 12 took DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M, the defensive tackle. And then 13, the Indianapolis Colts select Kentucky right tackle Darian Kennard. The two players that went after Hutchinson at 15, the Chargers taking Adam Anderson, the pass rusher from Georgia. And at 16, the Las Vegas Raiders select Georgia defensive tackle Jordan Davis. So uh, we see Davis go off the board in the top half around one in this one here. But uh, any thoughts on just that grouping of players? Uh, yeah, I think it's really contentious argument right now with Adam Anderson and yep. his scheme fit and production and uh, where you play him and if he's an early down player or not. Um, Jordan Davis, if the way Jonathan Hankins is playing right now, I don't know if they're going to be needing another one tech mm. out there at sure. the 3-0 uh, and Las Vegas Raiders. But Jordan Davis, yeah, if they're a team that kind of covets that body, that run plugger, this could be the ballpark. Um, yeah, this is uh, De- DeMarvin Leal at 13 there, Kennard, some really big boy football players there. All right, so uh, to wrap it up, I always try and pick, like, all right, what's a, one other, like, category we can use to, to talk about a player? Look, it's it's fall. We're feel, it's feeling fall weather, talk, tailgate weather, get some ribs, get some barbecue going. I, li- I like some sauce, some barbecue sauce going on with the ribs. So one saucy pick here outside the top ten. You could take saucy 
however you want it, however you want to define saucy. Uh, I'll let you go first here. One saucy pick outside the top 10. Well, let's stay with the low hanging fruit, sexy category. Everybody just wants to know where the quarterbacks are going to be pegged here. A little bit of a uh, disagreement with Sam Howell being pegged at seven based on his recent play and some buzz. And that just goes further on. I mean, Carson Strong, how about to the Pittsburgh Steelers? There in the middle of the first round, like a guy that certainly his stock is going that way and could look like a first rounder. And one of the more interesting conversations around the NFL circles right now are the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yep. And, and Big Ben's health, Big Ben's future. And really the conversation about the lack of preparation for after Ben and what they're currently dealing with. So quarterback is going to be objective one with this team, whether it's free agency or the draft start pegging in somebody and Carson strong based on what big Ben looks like. And that style of offense with Matt Canada, I think Carson strong would be a really good fit. Yeah. The, the quarterback situation, I think it's just going to be really interesting to watch just moving forward into this draft. If the guys do get bumped up or if they get kind of littered throughout round one, uh, certainly a team like a Pittsburgh or a Washington, if you're picking in the teens, if you're picking the, even like the early twenties, you kind of like the the way that you're the way that you envision this quarterback class going, where maybe there's a couple guys that could kind of sprinkle in, through the first round, whereas if it becomes an arms race, and now it's like, oh, well, four of these guys now are going to go in the top 11. Now you're a little bit worried, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. I'm going to stay in that same position. Spencer Rattler, number 20 to the New Orleans Saints. I love the fit. I love the the idea of it. There was all the buzz about uh, Sean Payton being in on Patrick Mahomes the year he came out, and there's been some of those comparisons, obviously, uh, with Rattler to Mahomes. Uh, I love that's a, that's one that we're that's becoming kind of a chic pick. We've seen that with a handful of mock drafts already here so far this fall, but that one uh, really intrigued me. I kind of like the, the the idea of Spencer Rattler to Sean Payton. The so just putting you on the spot right now, who can we you know we're sitting here end of September. This is right about when the Joe Burrow stock started, the mm. Zach Wilson stock started. Who's ready to crash the party with some signature wins here? So the Fresno State kid is Jack Kona, you know, a darling Bruin. What if Desmond Ritter throws for six touchdowns and 400 yards against Notre Dame this weekend and crushes them on the road? You, you continue know? to be a Matt Corral hater. You don't even mention him as a, as a possibility here. I figured that was the one you were going <laughs> to initiate. I left it for you there. I left it for you. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, and that's the thing is that I do feel like this is a big weekend for that conversation, right? Because uh, obviously if, if Cincinnati upsets Notre Dame or if Matt Corral goes out and has a huge game against Alabama, now that buzz starts to build, right? That legend starts to build and, and some of that momentum will start to roll. So uh, I think when you look at this week, I think that will be big for those narratives. That said, I mean, with what Corral has done, I said it last week on the show, he might be he might be the early favorite for the Heisman, right? I mean, I was just the numbers that he's putting up. He didn't play last week, so uh, it's a little bit soft now, but he scored seven touchdowns the week before. Uh, if he can keep producing at the, the level that he's producing, obviously everybody loves Lane Kiffin. And like, like, you know what I mean? Like, he's built some equity there in the minds of, like, voters and the media and stuff like that. Like, that he's, he's going to be up in New York for that ceremony. I just think it's exciting to see the ones kind of take an opportunity and just run with it for the season. I mean, yep. Jake, Jake Bentley at South Alabama's three and zero. Fran, who knows, right. who knows where it can go. <laughs> Car- but to your point, I mean, you brought up Carson strong. Like there's a lot of buzz, but at this point, I feel like the buzz was starting to build on, um, on Zach Wilson, right? It was like, Oh man, like make sure you stay up late and watch Zach Wilson, uh, you know, late on Saturday night. Oh, watch him 10 o'clock taking on Hawaii or Colorado state or whoever was they're playing on any given week. I feel like we're starting to get a little bit of that with Carson Strong, that maybe not to that extent, but Strong is another guy that I feel like is, is going to be making a push here as well. Yeah, certainly. 
Yeah, no question. Well, uh, Ben, we'll be talking to you this, uh, this coming week about what we see this weekend here in college football. Make sure you go subscribe uh, to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Ben and I talking X's and O's each and every week over on that show as well. Ben, thanks so much, man. We will talk to you next week. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, well, let's wrap this show up with my friend Ross Tucker from Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Ross, uh, pick six. You picked up uh, a game on me this week, the the big deciding games. You picked Louisville over Florida State. I took the Seminoles. I I tried to give some more faith there uh, in FSU. They did not come through for me. Another one, though, I was able to pick up Kentucky. Uh, I had some faith in them, so I was able to tie it back up. But then your faith in Notre Dame uh, came through. Always knew you were a big Notre Dame Irish fan when you come through. And now you've got a a one-game lead on me here as we conclude week four. I love it. Yeah, Kyron's uh, yard per carry. That was good. Kentucky's margin. Um, I didn't even check those. Did Kentucky beat them by a lot compared to that? Uh, so Michigan State won by three. Kentucky won by a touchdown. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge blowout, but uh, Kentucky came through for me for sure. We got close on our upset specials again. Dude, we, we, have are, been, we are we have on the money with those, man. Those. Yeah, we really we have. We really have. We've, we've picked a, a lot of really close ones, and we'll see uh, if we can keep it going here this week. I will say the one area where you are just crushing me is the straight pick comes we do. Uh, I believe I am. I have the, re- the records here. I You are 6-2 and two on your straight pick comes here so far through four weeks. I am 3-5. and five. So that, everywhere else, I feel pretty good. I feel I've got the advantage. Uh, th- those, you are absolutely crushing me, and we'll see if that continues this week. We'll start in the SEC. Auburn Tigers. Versus the LSU Tigers, who do you like here in this big SEC matchup? As usual, I am totally floored that two teams in the same division of the same conference have the same mascot. (laughs) I I mean, it's just unreal to me. But that's what we got. I'm going with LSU, man. They got their loss out of the way against UCLA, and uh, they've been playing better since then. It's a night game, Death Valley, place will be crazy. Auburn kind of struggled. I don't know if it was just after the whiteout game or what, but now they got quarterback questions. I don't like that, whether it's Finley or Ricks. Give me a LSU. I like Auburn here. You know, going on the road, obviously it's going to be a tough atmosphere for them. Um, and, you know, Keishon Butte for, for LSU is a stud, uh, true sophomore wide receiver. But I really like this Auburn defense, especially up front, uh, to make things tough for the LSU quarterbacks and uh, certainly for that run game. So I will take Auburn here in their battle of the Tigers. Let's go to number two here. This is this one's a fun one. Notre Dame against Cincinnati. Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator for the Irish. Uh, he was previously with the Bearcats. Take us through this one. Who do you like here? Notre Dame versus Cincinnati. Yeah, I like Cincinnati. Um, Notre Dame has been hanging in there, but, man, they've been hanging in there. Now, they pulled away late against Wisconsin, but they've had a bunch of tough games in a row. Their quarterback situation is up in the air after Jack Cohn got hurt last week against his former team. Meanwhile, Cincinnati, man, they have been geared up for this. This is their Super Bowl They need this win for the college football playoff. I know it's at South Bend. I think Luke Fickle gets a signature win here. I like the Bearcats. So you have been picking – you have been supporting Notre Dame like pretty much every single week we've done this segment so far this season. I have been going out against Notre Dame with pretty much everyone. And as I've mentioned, uh, that has not treated me well, including last week did not treat me well. 
I'm going to flip the script this week. You're taking Cincinnati. I'm going to take the Irish. I know that Jack Cohn is banged up. Uh, you know, they've got some injuries on both sides of the football. I like the Irish here at home uh, in a close one, but I, I you know, Cincinnati, uh, you mentioned uh, their emotions are going to be high. They're gearing. They've been gearing up for this. All their seniors returned on both sides of the football. They've been ready for this kind of statement win. I just think the Irish uh, come through with this one. We'll see if they can come through for me. Uh, let's get to our over under four and a half is the number here on the over under. We're going to take a look at this big sec battle, Alabama against Ole Miss. And that number four and a half is going to represent total touchdowns, both running and throwing, and we'll throw receiving in there as well, for Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral. He had seven touchdowns the last time he took the field uh, a couple of weeks ago. What do you think here? Over, under, four and a half total touchdowns for Corral against the, the Crimson Tide. Under? I mean, five touchdowns? That's a lot. Dude, against he's been Alabama? This season. He's a, I, so I, I felt like it was a little high, but like, don't you feel like this could be a shootout? I mean, they scored over they scored over 50 points last year against the Tide. Now, Corral only accounted for two touchdowns in that game, but like I don't know. That's why I I made it a high number and obviously it's a high bar. Uh, I agree with that. I took the under, but I didn't think it was like a super high number. Um, I guess it's not super high given what they did last year. But five touchdowns is a lot, man. It's 35 points plus like you can easily get to the three and then you run it in. It's not him running it in, you know, like you can score points without it being the quarterback. I like the under. If you're the one that said it four and a half, you just have to take the over. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that like, I feel like I'm sucker betting both of us <laughs> taking the under uh, and he'll end up scoring six touchdowns in, a, in an Alabama win. Uh, but we'll see how that one goes. Let's go to, to game number four here. And either or, all right, so Boston College taking on Clemson. Uh, both teams have, in, have injuries on both sides. But Boston College leading wide receiver Zay Flowers or Clemson leading wide receiver Justin Ross. Which of these two players has more catches in this game? I'm going to go with Justin Ross for two reasons. Clemson is really struggling offensively. And they got to go to their studs. They got to go to Justin Ross and feed him. Plus, we know Boston College lost their quarterback, Dracovic, earlier in the year. So I think it's close, but I'll take Justin Ross. I, go, I went back and forth on this. And I, I initially, I had written down Justin Ross. But the more I think about it, you're right. Obviously, Dracovic is out, and, and that's a, a loss, certainly, for Boston College. But I feel like, look, they, they want to feed the ball to Zay Flowers. And if they're going to win this game, they need their studs to be able to come through for them, right? They need their best players to make, make big plays. And I, I can imagine a scenario where they are just feeding the ball to Zay Flowers, uh, whether it's on bubble screens, uh, shallow crosses, some of those deep balls as well. Uh, we've seen them connect on some of those so far this season. Uh, I will take Zay Flowers here and go on the opposite side of you. Let's go number five here, our high-low. What number is higher? Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks yards per catch this week against Georgia or the Bulldogs margin of victory. This was a, another really, really tough one. I felt like Traylon Burks yards per catch. Um, I think Arkansas is pretty good. I think they Arkansas are. can hang with Georgia. I think Traylon Burks is really good and is a big play stud. I think he can easily be in the high teens, maybe even in the twenties yard per catch and I think Arkansas can keep it to like a one score maybe a 10 point game something like that uh, I love Burks on this one I, I went back and forth on this one too and I think ultimately the way I, I, I ended up landing on Georgia 
And the reason why is because if you look at Traylon Burks th- so far through four games, his first two games, the yards per catch has been in the double digits. And a lot of that was like the, the short gadgety stuff. We're trying to get the ball fast. And so that yards per catch number was a little bit down the last two weeks. We've seen more of the vertical game. The question is, is, is that Georgia secondary going to allow stuff over the top? And is that front going to allow Arkansas the time to be able to connect on some of those deep throws? Uh, I ended up going Georgia here. Didn't feel great about it because I love Traylon Burks, as everybody on this podcast knows. Um, but I will go with the Bulldogs here. Let's go with our uh, upset special, man. Round us out. Who, who do you like here? Man, there's a lot. Every week there's a bunch that entice me. But I'm I'm – I got one that, man, I hope this happens for these kids. I'm picking UConn. Oh, I U- thought, UConn, I thought about this one, yeah. UConn, I've done two of their games this year. They played Wyoming very tough. Could have won that game. Vanderbilt, not very good. UConn, now that they're playing a bunch of true freshmen, they actually look better. I think UConn gets the upset over an SEC team, which would just be amazing. Mm, that, that would be a, a big win for them. I mean, they were like, weren't they like 45-point dogs to to, uh, to Army earlier this year? Like, obviously, they started off really, really tough, and, you know, they've already had a head coaching change and all that. But uh, that would be a huge win for certain for the Huskies program. I'm going to go Big Ten, man. Northwestern over, over uh, Nebraska. I like this one. For some reason, I feel like a lot of people feel like Nebraska comes away with this one fairly easily. I like Northwestern here uh, to come up with the W. Obviously, they've lost some players on both sides, but they've got a lot of talent as well on both sides that have come back uh, to that program. Pat Fitzgerald uh, obviously had them in the Big title, Big Ten title game a year ago. Uh, let's go with Northwestern with the Wildcats. Uh, dude, looking at this, we were only on the same side for one pick this week. This is going to be huge. Either you're extending your lead or uh, I'm taking a nice decisive one here. Uh, this should be a fun weekend of college football. Huge swing game, huge swing week. I love it. Can't wait. Uh, maybe you can catch up to me finally. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Ross, we will talk to you next week, man. Thanks once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. Sounds great. Another great slate of guests here this week. Outstanding stuff there from Ross Tucker, obviously Ben Fennel, but also uh, Eric Alco and Jim Nagy, the, rounding out the all-star circuit there with those two guys. Outstanding stuff. As always, before we get get you going, again, the last thing I always want to remind you guys, make sure you go into our Apple Podcast page, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. It's the best way to throw us your support here as we get you ready for next year's NFL Draft. That said, we'll be back next week breaking down all things here, college football and the NFL Draft, right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.